This is The Thirst Time, presented by Trap Brewing Company. To do something that no, has nothing to do with beer, it has nothing to do with the bottom line, it has all to do with uh, helping people be happy at work, uh, helping ourselves, everyone be balanced, to learn. You know, DE&I, uh, like our efforts with our equity and inclusion program, is all about just learning, like figuring out, like, you know, and identifying where our, our privilege is and where, uh, you know, how, how we can use our privilege for good, how we can diversify our team, our customer base. Hello and welcome back to The Thirst Time. We've had a little extended break there just as we hit the halfway mark, but it's great to be back. We have loads of stuff lined up including interviews, but also a little side project in the pipeline. So I hope you're all ready for that. So I hope that the picture that has been drawn from all these interviews, uh, now up to 15, is one that shows an industry with many different layers. Now, within the brewery, you have multiple roles that highlight the different skill sets, maybe packaging, maybe lab work, and of course, brewing. And then you have dozens of satellite jobs orbiting around the final liquid that we produce. One of which, which has become one of the most important roles in a modern brewery, is design. And that is where we'll be focusing a lot of today's conversation. So, today's guest. Today's guest is Frank Scott Kruger. Frank is part founder and full designer of one of the most exciting breweries on the West Coast, Humble Sea. For those that know that name, you'll no doubt be aware of their awesome branding. They manage to capture personality, recognizability, and just a real essence of fun in all their can designs. And they also echo those sentiments with every post that they do, whether it be on Twitter or Instagram. They kind of carry the message of the brand forward and it encapsulates the whole kind of essence of what they're about. Um, now, this was a really great conversation, Frank's such a hero. He's such a good dude. We've, we've spent many a good time together when he's been over here. And it really opened my eyes to kind of what I always thought, but never really were able to articulate, is that a brewery or a brand is only partly made by the image you see on the can. Designing a brand is about messaging, connection, and community, and building a synergy between all of those moving parts that you can then transfer into the artwork. For me, Frank and the team at Humble Sea are one of the best in the business at achieving this. So, I hope you enjoy this one. Let's get to it. We start with that all-important question. What was that first beer for him? Yeah, you know what? I was So, so the story, my story is kind of atypical, uh, but I wanted, I actually was super curious. I think at this point, you kind of know what the typical story is. You, you've, you've heard this so many times. So like, I'm actually curious, like me growing up in California, like what do you think my story would be? Like what would be like the standard for spirit? Like what changed my mind? So every time I interview a Californian, and I think you're, the, maybe you're only the third or maybe the fourth, um, I always think Sierra Nevada because that was just such a, I mean, it was a beer that reached British shores and is brought up constantly on this podcast because it well, it's just a fucking great beer. And obviously you're a Californian and that seemed, to, I mean, that's is it like 40 years old now or something crazy. So yeah. you know, the fact that that beer was being made, you know, before I was born just blows my mind. 
Um, so that, that that's the one that middle aged. Yeah, that that beer's <laughs> heading for a crisis. Uh, <laughs> so that's the beer that I always think is going to be the one that's uh, that that a West Coast brewer is going to choose. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, I mean that is like the the standard story, which is like. I drank light, light, light lagers because someone gave a light yeah. lager to me, you know, mass produced American light lager at a party. And then I had Sierra Nevada and I was like, what is this? It's so bitter and it's flavorful. So that's not actually what happened. I'm just like, that's just, <laughs> but that is like the story. Uh, yeah. Mine was a little different. Like I, I had like, um, my first beer was a Guinness. <laughs> you know, like, that, that, that was, that was Evans as well. Oh, no, no. So that yeah. was just your first beer ever. No, that was my first malt beverage. Wow. <laughs> Alcoholic beverage was a, was a fucking Guinness uh, for whatever reason. Uh, I, I never really got into like the light lager partying thing like that. That wasn't really my jam. And then um, by the time I like got, you know, got a little bit more serious about drinking beer uh, in in college, I went to school down in San Diego. So like during that time, you know, I was in college in like 2007 to 2011. So like, uh, obviously craft beer was like a massive thing in, in San Diego at that point. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know. I never, I never did the like big college party, like light lager, like kegger kind of thing. I'm not against that. I probably do more of that now as a 31 year old <laughs> that I did in college. Um, but my friends and I, like, we, we like had this sense that we were in this like craft beer Mecca. So what we would do is like, we, we, you know, we'd spend like five bucks. We, we, we'd go out, we'd go out to like a beer bar and we would spend like five to 10 to maybe $15 if we were like crazy mm-hmm. on like Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. And we would just try to get them the best, coolest, most interesting beer that we could find. And at that time, uh, stone IPA like ruled, rule fucking ruled San Diego uh, like it was like the beer stone IPA and it was so bitter still probably is. I haven't had it in years. Yeah. Uh, and, and the malty as well. Um, that kind of caramelized like, you know, OG West coast and it was intense. And to be honest, I didn't like it, but that <laughs> beer got me into craft beer because I knew that I like, it was cool. Like yeah, I knew the force else. that craft beer had. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, this is what, it, yeah, fucking, I love hops yeah love and... this beer hate this beer love this beer yeah <laughs> that's funny because exactly. i guess you're a different generation because i've you know i've done jeff bagby and evan uh who are both probably a little like maybe a generation above well jeff maybe a couple and evan as well um so i guess yeah, yeah. when you were you know you when you were of drinking age um there was there was probably a pretty developed scene by that time Oh, super developed. I mean, I, we used to go to the Ballast Point homebrew shop, but Ballast, at that point, Ballast Point had, uh, you know, like massive facility with a beautiful yeah. beer garden and all the, the shit that comes with like a huge brewery. And like, I remember um, it was just like kind of steeped in our culture as like, as, as a young hipster in, in San Diego, California. <laughs> it's like, it was, it was like, we would ride, we would like ride our bikes on like a Saturday you know, across town, we would go to things like Mike, you know, Hess Brewing's first anniversary. Uh, and that year, I think they got like second best brewery in San Diego behind Ale Smith, I want to say. And uh, that was just our buddy from college. And then Mike Hess, uh, who started it, and they were brewing in like a, you know, whatever, like a one to two, it looked like I'm just trying to remember what it looked like it was a little garage uh, in industrial San Diego. And it was like a two barrel 
I, I want to say pot at pot. Like it was, it certainly wasn't any kind of brew kit. Like a, it, it literally looked like a one to two barrel pot. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of like the culture that we were in at that time. So like, I sort of grew up in, in craft beer and then yeah. got into like light beer way later. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. You go, you go, you go on the opposite route, like back to, back to the beginning. Um, Oh, Frank, there's so and these, much. And old guys, I mean, you're hearing Evan Price listen to this and just be like, dude, what a, what a fucking douche. Like yeah. my, my first beer was a, was a Newcastle brown ale. Newcastle <laughs> you know, brown and Guinness. I yeah, that, that, was, that, yeah. That, that blew my mind when he said that. And he fucking loves, this is, you know, again, a beautiful part of doing all these interviews because talking to American brewers about, uh, you know, where, you know, my love of American beers and stuff came from, you know, Sierra Nevada and, but then you speak to a lot of American brewers and they are always just saying like British beers back to me. And it's just like, this is so weird. This is, the, <laughs> it's just this reverse osmosis or something. Um, so there's loads I want to talk to you about, Frank, because I think that you come at, you've come at this, your kind of career in a slightly different kind of um, direction because you studied, you're a designer by trade. And am I right yeah. thinking we had a drunken conversation about this or something? Were your parents designers as well <laughs> or have i just made yeah it that's up? really good no that's great that's great memory uh because i'm mean, we were drunk a lot of the time when we were yeah i'm watching wrestling yet. as well so it was uh oh yeah that was rad oh my gosh like <laughs> lo- like what do you call it manchester lucha libre like it's just oh, so man. fucking awesome yeah sunday afternoon wrestling uh, it's quite, it's quite, it's, it's quite a subdued audience at that time. So it was a, it's, it was a bit weird, a lot of slapping. I just remember that. Um, but yeah, yeah your, your I parents, I, I think it, go on, just go on. I, I wouldn't describe that as subdued for a Sunday afternoon, but yeah, my, uh, <laughs> my, 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 that activity is not subdued. Uh, yeah, my, so my mom is a designer and she's sort of like an old school Silicon Valley. Like I grew up in the Santa Cruz mountains, which is mm-hmm. like sort of the coastal town of the Silicon Valley. Um, yeah, like an like a old school Silicon Valley designer, um, and so I grew up. And she had an agency. She was also an entrepreneur, so she ran. It, it was more from the ad and, and marketing perspective um, side of things. I come from more like brand and product design, which I, I can explain that if you're interested. Hundred um, percent. And but I grew up like in her in in her studio in our house uh, with all these little these old school Macs. You know, I think they were Mac twos at the, Macintosh twos at the time. Uh, so I was using, I was using Quark and, um, the different types of drawing and design tools, uh, when I was like a very small kid, four Mm -hmm. or five years old, um, even before Adobe was around and acquired Quark Express. And then when Adobe came, uh, came around and Illustrator was a thing, like I remember making my first drawing in Illustrator at like age seven or eight. And I remember my mom being like, cause this is new software. My mom learned how to design uh you know with paper uh in at, at university uh in the 70s uh 70s 80s 70s 70s and uh you know they were making corporate branding at the time just like everybody else was you know through from mid-century on but but that stuff was actually done physically like you were cutting things out with paper and then you were doing these types of photo photocopies which is, would be like a photograph and then mm-hmm. enlarging things but it wasn't digital at all um so i remember when I like hopped on illustrator and like I drew a fish. Um, my mom was like, how the, how the fuck did you do that? Like, 
can you teach me how to use Adobe Illustrator? <laughs> wow. So you were just like, this is, I mean, this happens, doesn't it? Like kids just growing up with software and being more advanced than their parents at like a super young age. So you were some kind of young prodigy drawing fish on no, there. Like, yeah, no, I wasn't a prodigy. I was just used to like kid, kid pics and like yeah. these like really <laughs> shitty programs. But it was intuitive, I guess. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then, and then Illustrator came out and it was like, oh, you can make like curved lines and like everything doesn't look pixelated and like the color pickers are really intuitive. And so, so yeah, so at that point I was like, this is so much better than the old program. Like I'm going to keep drawing here. Um, and I did show my mom how to use that kind of stuff. And she went on designing for doing layouts and stuff like that for like her business. Um, but then I started kind of freelancing, professionally designing mm-hmm. at like age 16 because my mom was like, she would get these client inbounds and they'd just be like the worst clients you know like the sh- the shittiest little company and and like uh whatever advertising a microchip that was never going to take off in in the garage in the silicon valley and she was like do you want to do the brand of this you know like they'll, <laughs> they're they're this way too small for me like this is a terrible client like mm-hmm. uh they'll probably pay you like 500 bucks and i was like 16 i was like 500 bucks that's amazing Are you kidding me yeah so i just uh jumped in and I freelanced all through college. And, and then, um, and then when I was on the road living in Latin America and various places for three years, I, I freelance designed all the way through that. Um, eventually found my, my way at a, uh, a, a design agency in Argentina that I had been following since high school. It was mm-hmm. like literally my favorite design agency in the world at the time. Uh, and I ran into the creative director because the project I was working on in Colombia, it was like a design kind of city design project, actually was selected to do a TED talk, which was really cool. So we were at this TED thing and no this creative director was doing a TED talk because he's like a famous South American designer. And uh, I just said, hey, I just kind of lied and I bullshitted, I guess would be a better way to say it. And I was like, hey, I'm going to be down in Argentina, like, you know, in Buenos Aires and in, in like, uh, a few months, like, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'd love to check out the agency. And I just, and he was like, yeah, come on down. And it was kind of like a casual interview. And uh, I showed up and, you know, I, I didn't have enough money to get back to California. Because at that time, I was backpacking and living on a super small, like budget, like so we're talking cool. like two to $10 a day, depending wow. on where I was at. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I did a stint just for fun, um, uh, for a challenge. Uh, it's very privileged to say that I could do it for a challenge, um, for sure. Uh, but I did a stint where I, I lived on $2 a day for 30 days. Wow. And uh, just, you know, because these kinds of experiments have always interested me. I think mm-hmm. that, that sort of like hacking side of my brain loves it. But anyway, I didn't have enough money to get back. So I was hoping it was going to be an interview and that he would give me a job. Uh, and I did get a job down there. Um, yeah, so that's I mean, that's that's kind of how I got into design. <laughs> well, there's there's loads I want to kind of touch on in there because the reason I wanted to come at it from from uh, that perspective is one, obviously you're a designer, but two is just that it's such a huge part of modern craft beer now. And and the other thing, the, the third part of it is that you guys, you know, I'm not not short on hyperbole on on this podcast, but your branding is fucking exceptional. Like Humble C is so well put together. It's so consistent. Even just 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 light like there's light details that maybe other people wouldn't notice or something that um, that just takes it to that level, next level. I think when when you sent over a palette, even just like the four case holders, like the little cardboard 
uh, case holders were all like beautifully designed and everything just had a <laughs> continuity to it that all fell together. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's grown so much with the scene. Um, so where, where you guys have come from it, like you could tell that there's such a design element behind it. Um, the other side is the entrepreneurial side, which just seems to be ingrained in the American culture. It's just like, you've got to do a startup. You've got to do a startup of some kind. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, dived a little bit into the humble sea beginnings um and humble is the kind of word that you use you guys were kind of well it was nick who started it just brewing under the moniker humble sea in a garage yeah exactly he was he was he was home brewing under the name of humble sea for i don't know eight eight years ten years whatever before <laughs> it became a business uh and it's it, just because he loved the concept of, of combining, you know, seed, the ocean, something that we're all passionate about. And, and then just this concept of humility and, and, and always going back to the drawing board and kind of redesigning recipes. And because like, so, as a, especially as a home brewer, but, but even as, as any kind of brewer, people don't really give you quality feedback to your face. Uh, no. They'll just be like, yeah, this beer's great. <laughs> Untapped is beer's phenomenal. Great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks, Untapped. Um, uh, you know, it's, and it's not helpful really. Uh, so, you know, combining that, those kind of two aspects is, is he was just homebrewing. And then, um, he actually tried to launch the brewery a couple of years before with another good friend of ours from high school, uh, as a partner. And, uh, she actually passed away and, uh, oh, that was super rough. Um, yeah. she, she got into an accident. There were some complications and then she passed away like a year later. And, um, he sort of took a step back and was like, okay, like this is really intense. He was doing construction management at the time. Um, and he was just kind of like, I don't know if I want to do this. And also he was, he was, I think he was smart enough to know like what he really wanted to do with the beer side of the business. Um, so when Taylor and I came around just as friends, sort of like back in his life, uh, we all grew up in the same area, um, the Santa Cruz mountains. Uh, he, he pitched us on, on sort of being, you know, all being equal partners and complementary sides of the business. And so I always get like, excited hey, man, at I'll, this part because it's just like, feels <laughs> like, you know, it's just those like little conversations and just like, oh, do you want to, you know, you could, you know, you've done design, so maybe you could do some design work and, you know, we could start a little business with this. Uh, I don't yeah. know. There's always just that, that bristling excitement of what, what, you know, cause it could have just ended there. It could have just, you could have all disbanded and just been like, yeah, fucking Nick wants to start a brewery, but. I don't know. He's crazy or his beer shit. And I don't want to do it, but like, you know, you have a connection and you all have different, a different skill set that you can bring to the table. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the entrepreneurial side of things. Like I, I I really, I think it's unfortunate, but I cannot stop starting things. Like I I cannot uh, (laughs) like, like lean away from a cool opportunity. I think it's just like a, oh man, it just, and it's caused me so much extra work and stress. And so much less money in my life. You know what I mean? Like that. Not, if you put it on paper, the equations don't add up. But I can't yeah. not do it. Uh, so yeah, at that time, I had already. Um, I was 25 when we started the brewery. So like, or like you know, started the paperwork. So that was like six years ago. Um, the publicly, we're sort of like four years old since we opened. Um, and at that time, I had already started a couple. Uh, well, already like a design agency and then started um, a couple tech startups, all of which failed. Um, 
but one of them failed. Like we raised like venture capital oh, wow. uh, and went through an accelerator program in New York city and got these like super hype investors for this concept. And, and, uh, my partner, the CEO at the time was like, you know, this, this big dog in the tech space. And then we literally got taken down through like, like lawsuit, essentially like lawsuit claims, charges, whatever, um, that, that never really materialized. It was just sort of like, we got ourselves in a, in a situation where it was like, Oh shit, like this is really intense. Do we really want to do this kind of thing? And like, so I, I have had experience with like starting things. Some of them worked like the design agency, good knife, which I'm, which I'm still running. Mm-hmm. Um, and which, which I love, like that's such a balancing factor in my life because the brewery is so chaotic and always growing and, and the design studio is just like, yeah. Uh, and, and so when Nick pitched Taylor and I, Taylor has got all the experience with front of house and, and managing bars and stuff like that. And then my background is entrepreneurship and then design. So specifically brand design, web design and then what we call product design which is mm-hmm. uh like app design um but out here in the silicon valley we all just call it uh product design because it you know an app's a product yeah uh, so ui ux whatever you know depend depending on i try not to use these kinds of jargony terms because people are like the hell are you talking about ui ux <laughs> it's like i don't know man it's apps. yeah it, uh, yeah uh, and i guess in silicon valley these are just you know these are just letters and stuff that get thrown around and everyone understands it. it's just a common the common language Oh yeah, you're just tossing acronyms yeah. at everybody all the time. You know, you're you're, you're getting coffee like speaking acronyms. in binary. Yeah. <laughs> the first time is supported by Crosby Hops. Whether you're looking for spot hops or locking in a hop contract, Crosby Hops has the hops you need exactly when you need them. Varieties like Amarillo, El Dorado, Idaho Seven, Centennial, Kashmir, and many more are available now. Crosby Hops is a B Crop certified independent and family owned hop grower, processor and merchant based in Oregon's beautiful Willamette Valley in the heart of the Pacific Northwest USA. Through generations of hop industry experience and their robust merchant processor platform, Crosby has cultivated long-standing relationships with like-minded independent growers and hop breeders across the globe. This unique model, alongside partnering with uh, trusted independent distributors like Lockram Brewing Stores, complements Crosby's estate-grown hop portfolio to provide discerning brewers access to a diverse selection of the finest hops on earth. And I say this every time, but we can attest to that. We are also supported by Lockran Brewing Stores. Since 2014, Lockran Brewing Stores has been connecting brewers with the world's leading farmers and producers of brewing ingredients. By working directly with hop and malt producers, including Crosby Hops, Indie Hops, Hop Revolution, Biwa, Lockran Family Malt, Best Malts, and Castle Malting, Lockran Brewing Stores is able to supply the highest quality and most environmentally sustainable ingredients on the market today. Whether you're brewing hazy IPAs, Imperial Stout, or any other style of beer, Lockham Brewing Stores has everything you need to take your beer from farm to glass. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the first time, and this is our interview with Frank Scott Kruger. The beginning of Humble Sea, though, the way we started was not... Like, it's so easy to, like, romanticize it and, like, look back at... And be like, we started with, you know, almost no funds, like $10,000 $10, is what mm-hmm. we, we each pulled together, $3,300 uh, <laughs> to start the business, which is like, which is a terrible idea. Uh, anyone it, listening, yeah. like this is a it's really, a really yeah. bad idea. 
like because we were from we were behind the entire time since inception like we never had enough money for fucking anything like it never made sense we never caught up until probably six months ago um, wow. when we felt like we had enough of a revenue stream and it was paying for itself um to to grow the simultaneously grow the business which is uh, like a huge gift right like to be able to run your business and grow it during covid like that's like um that's massive privilege um but it really like the entire time we were just running around like like chickens with our heads cut off you know like trying to make this dream work but we were doing everything and too much and it was i like i would say mentally uh very unhealthy uh, the amount of work that we were doing well, I, this is why I wanted to kind of touch on it, because I, I think I had a kind of romantic notion that you guys had just met, you were free friends, and you, you managed to get some money together, and you have your space, and, and it's a really cool space in a beautiful spot, like near the beach, and you're just oh, these yeah, handsome Californians <laughs> surfing in a day, but then, so diving into it a bit more, I was like, oh shit, man, you, you guys had to go through some stuff, like, you were doing full pitches to investors, and getting up yeah. in front of crowds and, and getting knocked back after knocked back. And like you said, you know, $10,000, you know, it's a lot of money in certain regards, but when it comes to a brewery, it's just, it's pittance. Like there's nothing really you can even do with that. And then if you're trying to even think about it being a sustaining career, then yeah, the, that's where the mental load comes in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's something like we, you know, starting, we start, so we found a little bit of a loophole in, in, uh, in the zoning in the Santa Cruz mountains, because we're in wine country. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started with $10,000, but we had some connections because we're from this area. Uh, again, like another sort of nod to like the privilege of, of being from, uh, you know, Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz mountains is, is in the, in Santa Cruz in general, in the Bay area, like it's a beer drinking area. So like yeah. there was already a market built into our hometown and we had the support system of, of, of living in our hometown and, and being able to connect with people, landlords, uh, you know, family members, investors, whatever, to, to sort of get this thing off the ground in a way that was, uh, much cheaper than if we were mm-hmm. to just plop down in the middle of some random city and try to make shit happen. So, uh, we found this kind of zoning loophole, um, because of wineries. So if, if a property is zoned agricultural in any way, and there's lots of properties in the mountains that are zoned agricultural, even if they're just a home, but they have like a horse stable. Yeah. Um, there's a zoning there. And so Nick's grandma, Nick's grandma in law, <laughs> that's how, you know, we just really stretching the relationships. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> man, that, that in-law fam, that they must Oh my gosh. I don't know if they love us or hate us. Uh, we named some beers after him though. So love you, grandma Joyce. You're the best. <laughs> um, you know, so, so we, 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 we figured out that you could actually have a commercial brewery, just like you could have a small commercial winery on this type of property. So we started out in grandma Joyce's garage and actually calling it a garage was super weird. It's a, it was a carport. Uh, mm-hmm. it only had three walls, maybe two and a half walls. Um, it, it was open. Um, and, but, but ABC said, yeah, this is do your thing. Like don't make over a certain amount per year, but like, this is official. Everything was, you know, so we were an industrial brewery in grandma's wow. driveway. That's insane. Uh, it was, yeah. 
And we started on Nick's homebrew setup, which is what we call a kegel setup. So a keg converted into a, you know, three vessel system. Uh, so, so bring literally a keg's worth at a time, uh, you know, 15 gallons at a time. And, uh, then we upgraded, uh, to, we, we started to take on some, some investors and these investors were either friends, family, or people in the area that wanted to get into craft beer in some way. Um, and it was debt investment, so not, not equity, because um, we wanted to continue, uh, you know, pay back all of our investors, eventually get them out of the, the, the picture so that our vision is just our vision. Um, because I had the experience of raising venture capital before and like these venture capitalists would come in and be like, oh, you guys should totally do this. And we'd be like, yeah, that's a dumb idea. Uh, and they would kind of respond with, I sort of own you, <laughs> you know, like. And it's happened, and it's, yeah, and it's happened in the the beer world. You know, there's a lot of people who've changed a lot of direction. I mean, as soon as you bring someone else on, they have an opinion, and like you say, when yeah. they've invested money, they have quite a big opinion, depending on how much that money is. Obviously, over here, you've got things like crowdfunding, where you kind of just disperse the amount of investors so much that no one has any kind of like huge authority over what you do. Um, yeah, you know, they still want to probably keep up to date, but but yeah, I mean, it's a scary process and you know we've seen you know mutual friends of ours you know uh who you came and brewed with the first time kind of went down that route um and it and it changes everything and it, internally it changes everything um so you know you guys yeah, being, yeah you guys being three friends who've got like a vision for what they want it, was, was there ever any kind of inkling to lose equity or did you know straight away we just like if we do that then we've compromised what we what we wanted to do um, no, it was, it was always, so we do have a couple mi- minority, um, stakeholders, um, mm-hmm. very small percentages. And it was things that like, you know, would just add up over time, whether we traded, uh, you know, like our accounting and finance work, um, for a small percentage yeah. or someone was willing to bring in a decent enough chunk and, and also add value. Um, uh, one of our, um, investor partners, uh, the total percentage is small. I wouldn't say the corporate makeup right now, but the total percentage that we've given away is is, is very small. Uh, yeah. But one of our investor partners that came in with a larger chunk of money, um, who actually has equity, uh, he happens to manage the manufacturing, all of the manufacturing process for the MacBook. So he works for Apple. And <laughs> so this dude... Yeah. So he's, and he's a buddy, like he's, he's, yeah. he's a friend. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a cool dude. He's, uh, you know, lives nearby and we, we were drinking beer together and talking about it. And we're like, well, this is some pretty complimentary skill sets. So like when we had to set up our shipping program, uh, you know, when, when COVID hit and we just turned on e-commerce hard and like, you know, my, my partner Lee and I, who, who manages marketing now for humble C, uh, we just stayed up all night and just, you know, made an e-commerce site in like 24 to 48 hours yeah. and like turned it on and built the shitty back end. And the thing was brought in a bunch of orders, but like, you know, how to parse the orders. It was very poorly built. Um, thanks to my, my skills. And, uh, but then the shit, then we were like, Oh shit. We, you know, when we turned that on, we had 200, what was it? 500 orders in two hours. And then I was like, okay, no sites down. Like we're not taking any more orders because yeah. 500, orders when you've never shipped a thing in your life is a lot it's uh, a lot we, we did exactly the same man this has been i think this is the covid uh the covid kind of yeah response this is like the covid panic unit where you're just like holy shit we need to change everything and do it really quickly 
Exactly. And it's like, it's, it's not a good idea from a business perspective, but we also, none of us, like, I'm sure you were in the same boat. Like none of us knew if we were going to like survive anything. So we yeah. really wanted to just basically take all the orders we can sell the beer on, on hand uh, and get a little bit of cash before like the world ended, you know, like hundred <laughs> percent. That's exactly, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think every, well, maybe most businesses, but yeah, every brewery was just like, okay, here we go. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's funny that you guys are literally in the heart of Silicon Valley. So it's just like, do you think there's anyone around here who might be able to help us with this? It's like, yeah. yeah. So, so that, so that's, that's my point is we hit him up and we were like, dude, you're a, you're like a assembly line expert. Uh, we were trying to ship on our own for a few weeks and it was just, it was really tough. It was disastrous. Our turnaround times were slow, material supply chain, everything was just weird. Mm -hmm. And he came in and just redesigned our line. He was like, oh, okay, like, you know, here's what you want to do. Here's like the labeling system that you want here. So you, you know, you configure your, configure your packages and the whole thing. And so it's like, oh, cool. So like, that's kind of what I mean. Like a few of these um, investors are actual partners and we're, we're happy that they have a stake in the business because uh, they bring that, that, yeah, that kind of knowledge is we would have had to pay a, you know, a consultant more, more than he originally put into the business just to tell us what he told us. <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, Whenever you can bring something like that on, especially the, the, I think a real spotlight's coming on how digital you need to be as a brewery. So if you've got someone who's designed MacBooks, you're all right. You're going to be okay. I think they, they've got that kind of base covered. So like I said in the introduction, the main thing I really wanted to grill Frank on was what he brought to Humble Sea from a design perspective and how they went about creating the identity that they now have. In this next section, we really dive into that, so I hope you enjoy it. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the first time, and this is our interview with Frank Scott Kruger. All right, Frank, so let's bring it back into you, into you and what you brought to Humble Sea because, like, again, for those that haven't seen, go on Instagram and check out Humble Sea's branding because it is so good. There's a real playfulness. <laughs> there's a continuity. Um, where Did you have an immediate feel for, for what the brand was going to be or was it a lot more kind of like hit and hope or did you, was it a collective or were you just like, guys, I've got this covered, I'm going to take it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, that's a that's a really good uh, question. So I, I would say, in terms of an immediate feel for the brand, I would say uh, yes and no. So if we're to get a little bit nerdier into brand talk, which is your perfect perfect yes, guy let's to do, do this it. with. So like I, I I sort of I sort of di divide up brand into two categories. There's the visual side of the brand, which is sort of what a lot of people, when, when people hear, oh, you're like, you're a brand designer, you're a brander or whatever, um, they think visual immediately, like, which is fine. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think the bigger and more important side of the brand is the identity side is sort of like the, the, the other half or even more of the branding, the brand experience that is intangible and it's the you call it like the, the the brand identity or the brand personality uh the brand tone voice you know whatever you like no one agrees on terminology and branding um but the best way i would kind of describe it is like what's that gut feeling when you see the visual trigger of a color palette that's within a brand or 
uh, a logo. The, the logo is sort of the original trigger. Um, old school OG, like what does that mean mm-hmm. to you? Um, but it could be a can, for, for example, like our white cans, see a white can with something hand drawn in somewhat of a pastel color palette. Like hopefully that, that triggers like a brand experience for you yeah. where you can be across the room. If you're in a beer bar, bottle shop, whatever. And, and know that that little section is humble C without us saying humble C because like our, our logo is tiny on, on the, on the cans. And the reason why it's tiny is because I don't expect someone to be able to read something from across the room, but I want them to kind of grok what, who that is from, from across the room. See, um, I've, I've thought about this a lot because this, there is two, you, what you've done. I, am I going to call you genius? Should I say it's genius? Yeah. Well, we'll go with that. Frank. The genius part of Hummelsey is that it isn't, I'd call. yeah, it isn't just, uh, <laughs> it isn't just the logo, you know, cause you've got Brooklyn beer, for instance, you know, you, you can yep. see that across the room, but it's just a big B it's incredibly well designed. Um, but -hmm. there's nothing that's like differentiates it that much. It's just different color palettes and it's just, it's just, it's a really strong brand. You've got modern times who did a really similar thing. You know, they almost took that kind of like old school font based, uh, design again, just on, on the shelf, it looks great, but it looks like it's always been there almost, you know, it looks like a brand that's got age to it. What you've managed to do is through color palettes and yeah, hand-drawn design, is create a playfulness that is unmistakably humble C, but without a big, that big logo just center stage. You've done it through just the design and palette, which I think is awesome. Uh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, sorry. You can just recover now from, uh, from my uh, diatribe there. That, no, I mean, that's, that's cool to hear. I mean, I, I think you when you say personality right like this mm-hmm. this so the, the the visual side of the brand uh was developed much later but the original sort of brand personality or identity was to be playful yep it was to be approachable um and these are all it's funny these are all now like part of our company values that we when we when we interview people um we kind of look through the lens of you know, is this person uh, approachable? Like rather than looking for like a, a culture fit, we don't look for like company culture fit. We look for um, if this person can fit in in their own way through being approachable, humble, like have some l- level of kind of kookiness is what we call it. But the, the brand was originally set up like that. Um, and I started, we wanted to be approachable because at the time, at least from my perspective, craft beer was still pretty masculine. It was, mm-hmm. it was focused at sort of like the, the dude craft beer drinker, like, you know, bitterness doesn't mean shit to me. Yeah. Arrogant um, bastard, you know, like full stone, exactly. full stone marketing. Yeah. Yep. Full stone marketing. Uh, and they did a great job for, you know, what the market was in the nineties. Uh, but not only did I sense the market shifting, I also felt like the market should be shifting because everybody drinks beer. Um, mm-hmm. and just to, pander to like the dude bro culture of, of you know coastal california is it felt like it's not only had it been done before but it was it's it's uh it's not inclusive yeah <laughs> so that was you know from the playful nature of it that was um for sure like we were starting all on on the same you know basically on the same page with with where we wanted to get to but in terms of designs we started out pretty clean 
vector graphics, you know, like um, digital graphics is another way to say vector. Um, and, it, you know, a lot of it was brought from my background in more corporate branding. You know, we were doing we were doing product design work for companies like Spotify. And, you know, we've done stuff with like YouTube and bigger companies that have this like clean corporate, like always been their feel. Yeah. Um, and so we started from that, like digital drawings and we wanted to get playful, but it still kind of felt like a tech startup almost like it looked like it just wasn't quite there. And our naming convention was, it was sort of like a little too serious. And so there's this cognitive dissonance between like these beer names, like maritime medicine and like these things that like, it was just too much. And like, also like the maritime space, like had been kind of dominated at that point by ballast point and every other mm -hmm. brand. Uh, and I remember actually, so, so long story short, we, we shifted to like, well, ourselves, like we're, we're quirky, we're kooky. Um, you know, we come from a surf town, but ironically we suck at surfing. Uh, you know, <laughs> we, we, we love the outdoors. Uh, uh, we, not, we may not be the world's best uh, extreme sport athletes, like someone like us, like a St. Archer or something like that. Uh, but we sure enjoy the hell out of downhill mountain biking, you know, shit like this. And it's just like, let's just be ourselves and like, stop, stop bullshitting the world. And so at that point we shifted uh, and kind of gave up that like grasp on like need, need to be, need to have clean identity and mm -hmm. um, just embraced it. Started doing all of our uh, designs by hand and my background is in illustration um, and then with good knife, my design studio, a lot of our backgrounds are in illustration. And so just doing stuff by hand, really sketchy, uh, you know, it's supposed to be lighthearted, kind of, kind of bring out this, this, this childhood, you know, vibe, uh, with the drawings, color palettes were light approachable. And then beer names, I think is, is, is what we really, really, really dug into, um, just well, embracing I mean... the goofy <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're a fan of terrible puns on the first time. So you guys, you know, you eat that for breakfast. <laughs> oh, it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Even if you're intermittent <laughs> fasting, you know, like a lot, a lot of people in the California. Yeah, Elon, uh, Mo Elon Mollusk. Uh, yeah. What was the... <laughs> oh, I mean, like it's, yeah, it, it's uh, almost every pun beer, beer name is is a pun on either fog which we we brew foggy ipas we don't brew hazy yeah uh that's but, fucking you know, genius it, though as well like, that bit was amazing <laughs> because i guess for those that don't know and i didn't know this but uh santa cruz is it has like a morning fog doesn't it because it's right by the sea so you yeah. you know everyone's talking about hazy ipas but you you just you, you just like a little deviation from that and um, foggy pilsners foggy ipas and again, it just, it just cements who you are as a brand. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think as well, like we've kind of always gone under the moniker of like, you know, if you don't, if you don't feel comfortable with describing it in a, in a certain way or the way mm -hmm. everyone else does, if you don't have a, a term for it, just make it up, you know, like <laughs> that's, that's always been fun. And so the, the, the fog thing has been cool. The C, C puns, like, you know, our names, we, we just have a Slack channel of beer names and they just get tossed out from all, there's 33 people in the company right now. Um, and they just get tossed out from everybody, from all which directions, you know, there's maybe there's a brewer during the boil who's just like, boom, five beer names. Uh, maybe there's a, a bartender who just talked to a customer and the, like, you know, a lot of our, our customers, 
love like the naming schemes and they'll just like offer free advice about their names they'll just be like yo dude you missed this pun you know like here's a classic rock album oh man i'm just gonna i'm just gonna yeah i'm just gonna start inundating you with uh with beer puns now but uh you know, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll leave it to the experts. I'm, I'm not in Santa, Santa Cruz. Um, no, I mean, that's, it's perfect. And so we just kind of like compile this shared knowledge from all which ways. And then, and then I just go through once a week or once every couple of weeks and pick the ones that um, I think would work with our brand. And then also I can sort of immediately visualize. We also run it through a checks and balance system with the company and say, Hey, does anything feel like it's not inclusive here or like we're culturally appropriating? Uh, is there a background, you know, a good example would be like, um, one of the names thrown out there was urban trout fitters. Uh, we'd like to kind of do riffs on these corporate things to sort of make fun of them. And, um, also sort of start some shit on the internet, uh, see if there's some arguments or maybe they reach out or whatever. It's just fun. Um, but you know, urban trout fitters is a good example of like, Hey, you know what? Let's not do that name because they've got something in their past that was, um, that just, you know, maybe they weren't an equal opp- opportunity employer. I can't remember what yeah. the issue was with uh, a lot of the shit stems down to inequality uh, and, and racism um, yeah. with these kinds of companies. And so we're just trying to steer way clear of that kind of shit. Yeah. Um, and but when, once it goes through the checks and balances and 30 people have had their eyes on it, that we're usually pretty set. Um, and if someone calls us out on a name publicly, um, that's totally fair. And we, we want to take that feedback, um, and, and learn from it. And, you know, like that's very gracious for someone to say, Hey, <laughs> I don't know if you know, but this one band has an association with this, this, and this. It's like, awesome. yeah, Thank man. You. I mean, it's a, yeah, there's a, there's a lot there, isn't there? And, and, and I really want to go into more detail about, you know, that humble aspect and what beer can do and what we think breweries can do within culture. Um, because that, that feels very present at the moment and it feels amazing that, that it's present at the moment, you know, like that, what a great thing that we can yes. kind of try and cultivate communities that, that we think are all the better for being more vibrant and bringing more people into it. And it, cause it has been a white male dominated industry for so long. Um, totally. but before, before we go there, I kind of, I really, I'm loving the nuts and bolts of the design Oh yeah, you the design of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm focused on it. Um, we're still on the design. Yeah, we're still so on the sorry. design. <laughs> no, this is exactly what I wanted. All the rest can just—I'll just throw out. We'll just keep the design bit. Um, <laughs> but you said there, which was quite interesting, because because I guess you know it's somewhat my job as well. But like how brand is built from the voice and you know the words that you put out into into the ether, into the, into the, you know, community, um, as part of the branding. And I guess that's where I've kind of built from with track really, cause I, I'm not a designer, but I've always thought that every little bit of content that you put out is, is kind of, I, I would have never said it's part of the design, but when you said that, I was like, well, yeah, that's totally exactly what, what I try and do with, with track. And, and, and I think whenever I see that from a brewery and they have, great messaging and great content that that just builds strength for that brand. Yeah, totally. And, and, and you've done like an amazing job at track of, of capturing the tone and, and the voice of what you're working on, how passionate you are about beer, how, how passionate you are about innovation. And it's like, you've done such a good job. And the, and the cool thing about it, you mentioned you're not a designer, 
you actually have, you know, you have an amazing eye cause your photography is incredible. Oh, uh, and you, you, well, and you've also managed to, to put together some really cool graphics and visuals. Um, even though your background may not be in design, which is awesome. I would also say for, for anybody who's listening, uh, that the visual side of the brand is, is, is not as important. And I come from a visual background. Uh, it's just not like it just capturing a personality, connecting with your community and being approachable and raw and open and human is, is it. And like, I know it kind of sounds like some kind of like fucking entrepreneurial brand pep talk, but it's, so true like people people have beautiful well-executed design and everywhere in their lives now which is so cool like you you go to uh you know you have an you have an iphone um you have any any smartphone in the inner whether it's the operating system is ios or android uh that is fucking beautiful design and the access that we have to apps and everything else and the packaging and you know, this stuff that's all around us is fantastic. Like people don't need another Apple in the world. Like they, they need something to connect to and meet, talk with. And, you know, it's like, it's such a more emotional bridge um, to be like, Hey, this group of people is, is, is like me, or I can relate to them in these ways. We don't necessarily have to be exactly like each other to relate. And you never think that about something that's so put together like an Apple. You don't think Johnny Ives, the the lead designer of Apple's just like me. He's like, no, he's not. <laughs> he's not anything like me. No. <laughs> so, you know, like you've done an awesome job with capturing the human side of the brand, uh, which is so hard and it takes a long time. Like it just takes a lot of iteration and community engagement. And I, and I think the other thing, you know, I'm, this is definitely not trying to, blow our own trumpets but if it's inauthentic you just you can sense it a mile off you know like if you haven't got that authenticity yes, you about you and the, the, the group of people that you're working with it just it just feels so vacuous and empty um and 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 it just screams it you know there's i've seen countless breweries over here who've obviously paid a graphic designer or something tens of thousands of pounds to to redo a brand or something but it just feels hollow there's just no backbone to it um and you know we're not breweries that are gonna be huge i mean i don't know about you guys or or i know about us but we're not gonna be like this huge fucking behemoth or anything so it is just these little pockets of community that you're trying to create and i wonder how that permeates into the crowd that you see down at your tap room Do do you get a feel that they're really engaged with you as a brand and not just like coming for a beer yeah you know what we we have a pretty um, wide range of people who visit the tap room. So we've got, in terms of, in terms of, you know, sort of customers, we've got the, the local mm-hmm. who likes craft beer. I, I use the word like, uh, there, um, instead of like love or is obsessed or something like that. They enjoy craft beer. Uh, it's within walking or bicycling distance, you know, on the West side of where they live. We're on the West side of Santa Cruz. Um, and it's they really connect with for example our front of house staff like super friendly amazing bartenders like our our team is just like amazing with connecting with people Mm -hmm. and so it's like that's their that's their regular spot um whether we do a a collab ddh 
IPA with uh, track or other half or Finback, like they, they don't give a shit. Like they're, they're probably drinking socks and sandals, which is our sort of first, <laughs> our, our, our core, uh, you know, foggy IPA. Yeah. Um, and it's our first, it was our first foggy IPA we ever brewed and they could care less. They're just stoked on the environment and, and really our staff. And then there's the other side of the spectrum, which is like hardcore beer nerds who travel not only from all over the Bay area and all over California, but you know, we get people who visit us from, we're lucky enough uh, to be visited from wherever, you know, different countries, different parts of the country, that kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's more of a destination vibe and they, they do care about what hops went into this beer. What, you know, did you select this, this hop? Did you, what crop year is this from? What collaboration, what, you know, how involved was the collaboration? Like these kind of the really deep, like rich storytelling side of the brand. So you've got these like sort of two demographics where it's like, you know, I use the term beer nerd, very endearing. I don't want to make it sound like someone who, cares about beer is a nerd like and also nerds not a bad thing because we all know nerds rule the world uh <laughs> but you know there's these beer aficionados that that do this as a hobby a passion a lifestyle everything else and that's sort of like it's so there's like two tones to our, our storytelling then the other side is, is like did you take a soft top surfboard out to cows this morning the beginner surf break around the corner did you did you, you know, take a boogie board out and cut somebody off on accident this weekend? You know, did you take, did you fall on your mountain bike because the trails, because uh, we happen to live in a world-class mountain biking destination. And to be honest, these trails are way over all of our heads. <laughs> like, did you, and it, that's very realistically like, that's like, those are our regulars. And that's yeah. the people who live in Santa Cruz. Those are the people who, want to grab a beer, connect with our staff, you know, like do kooky shit because they are kooks because they're wearing socks and sandals because they're probably from Palo Alto, you know, Palo Alto is a, a, a tech town in the Silicon Valley and they've got a fucking great attitude about it. And they know that we're poking fun at the tourist culture of Santa Cruz. And we know, and, and, and they know that we love them and, and they love us and we're kind of poking fun at ourselves for being kooks. Yeah. There's just like that sort of like thing and it's, I don't know. So does that make sense? We sort of have like two tiers of storytelling. Yeah, totally. I mean, firstly, I feel like we need to define the term kook because uh, for a lot of listeners, you know, this is a very Californian surf thing. So, so give us the definition <laughs> of kook first, Frank. Yeah. So, so kook is, is, is not a positive term and <laughs> we, <laughs> we, want to make it a positive term because okay. we are kooks so we have yeah. no choice <laughs> so, a so you're just trying to make people somebody. like you i guess that's the <laughs> yeah yeah like we, we 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 want people to be okay with being kooks because to be honest we're kooks and we have no other option so a kook is this comes down i, I think you can kind of like get deeper into like the privilege thing uh with coastal california coastal cities in general whatever but in surfing there's this bullshit term which is you're a kook if you if you don't you basically don't have your wits about in the water you don't understand you know basically oceanography we call it brochenography because you've got all these surfers who are like you know like you know experts in oceanography they understand the bathymetry of you know the bottom of the the ocean and how it affects a wave and an angle and storms happening up in the uh, pacific northwest and how it's going to come down to our this whole thing it's like 
of course they don't know this. They didn't grow up in Santa Cruz. They didn't grow, they didn't grow up in coastal California. So if you're not like an expert in the water, a water yeah. person, uh, the old older school term would be waterman, but that's very gender specific. If you're not that, you're not good at surfing. You don't understand uh, the rules of the lineup. Um, and part of this, part of understanding the rules of the lineup is, is safety as well. Like, you know, you need to move in certain ways so that you don't have a fiberglass uh, piece, a pointy piece of fiberglass in, in your dome piece. Yeah. Uh, so part of it is safety, but, but this idea of making fun of people because they're essentially not natives to the ocean. Like if you really take a step back, it's like, so you're, so you're making fun of people, uh, which we are, we are natives of the, we're very lucky to be natives of the Santa Cruz County. And we still suck at surfing. So we're still absolutely in that category of kook. We have some staff members that are fucking unreal. Just, just total shredders, uh, yeah. longboard, shortboard, whatever. And, um, that's cool. The three founders are not that, uh, and when you really look at it, it's like these people are making fun of people for not growing up on coastal California, one of the most elite privileged areas in the world. And, and you can't choose where you're born. You, you can't even choose to like, I mean, think about that. You, you're, you're born in Santa Cruz. You have enough time to recreate in the ocean. You have enough funds to buy wetsuits, buy the gear, have the community around you to teach you how to surf, to bring you out there. Like you're not going to be a six year old kid to paddle out into a lineup at steamers lane. Like, you know, where Jack O'Neill invented the wetsuit. Like, you know, it's big out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, big and terrifying. I, I mean, I've been in the ocean a few times, but uh, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's almost an intimidation, isn't it? It's just like, get out. Don't, don't even come in here if you're not. And, and all, all you guys is, are trying to do. Bullying. Yeah. And you're trying to, and tying this back into kind of humble sea, um, I think you guys do really well. Is kind of like a really serious unseriousness. This kind of yeah, paradoxical, we're, like we're really serious about being unserious, uh, and, and, and it. it's very yeah, and it's really kind of like you know you know exactly what you're doing and what you're playing with, and I think it just comes down to having fun and want, wanting people to have fun and when you were talking about oh, you're making me really reminisce about tap rooms and stuff. And I really hope that, you know, we were lucky enough when we've had our pop-up tap rooms to have people coming from the States and, you know, like really searching you out. And that was such a cool part. And I really, really hope that that does come back because obviously it's looking pretty bleak at the moment, but I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, <laughs> but like you're saying that that different level of storytelling, like does someone want to just come and chat over the bar and have a good time? Or does someone want to come go really in depth about the beer, the product, where it came from, why it is that way. And we need to be, um, we need to have a vocabulary in both those things. And that's what I absolutely love because I, I, I love shooting the shit. Like we could just shoot shit and talk about beer, like probably not even talk that much about beer on this podcast. But then if you <laughs> want to go into it, I'm ready. You know, like that's the exciting part. Right. And that, and the, the same kind of idea of like using the term kook and, and saying, Hey, you know what? The ocean is approachable. Go <laughs> surfing. Let's yeah. let, you know, we'll teach you how to surf, you know, like the, let's, let's get out there. Let's get in nature because w the more you, uh, the more people that are in the water, you know, certain surfers look at it as a finite resource that you need to protect. There are only so many waves and so many breaks in California, in the world, whatever, which is, which is not untrue, but we look at it as, uh, the more people that are in the water, the more they will fall in love with the ocean, the environment, nature, and, be, and become stewards of, of this thing that we need to 
care for and protect. And Mm -hmm. it's also just like, come on guys, like share, you were born into this privilege. Like let's, 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 uh, let's be a little bit open-minded. Yeah. Like, so it's the same thing with beer though. We want to be approachable as well. And, um, and not just say like, you, you, you know, like, Oh, you don't, you don't know what galaxy is, you know, like you don't, it's just like, we'll get out of our, you know, it's like that kind of mentality not only turns people off from craft beer, but like, we don't care if you know what galaxy is, as long oh, as it man. tastes good and you feel good and you're, you're enjoying yourself. Yeah, like, you're, giving me, you're giving me flashbacks of like working in, when I first got into craft beer and I, uh, like working behind a bar and I didn't really know fucking shit about it, you know? Um, but I remember if anyone ever came in and asked for, you know, what's, what's your closest to like Foster's or Cronenberg, you know, which I don't know if you know, but they're kind of like shit macro lagers, but, um, then every, all the bar staff would always like snigger about it, you know, like they'd be like, Oh "Oh my God, that guy. And it's like, well, it's not, you know, they're just, they, they're just coming in. They don't know what's going on and they want to learn about something. And that, that is the opportunity to have a conversation and kind of like really go into depth and, I mean, I've always just liked talking, you see, so it's, it was, it came easy. It was like, right, <laughs> I'm just going to chew your ear off for half an hour. Um, but that's really cool. And, and, and I think that just what I was trying to really gather was just that, that, that core identity of what Humble C is about, tying it into the branding. And I thought what you said there, which was super fascinating, is that the visual aspect is only, is like not even, you know, is is not even like sixty percent of what it's about. You know, if you haven't got that core identity and message, um, and feel, then then I don't think you're going to have the longevity that that you, that is required in in an industry that like this brewery's popping up every day. You know, like they just keep popping up, and a lot will pop away because it's a, it's a hard business to, to to build a sustainable kind of a living from. So Humble Sea might just be the most pun-orientated brewery in the world. I'm not sure if they take that crowd. You can you can decide. Um, so it feels only apt to go into where do we go from beer? How do you see the next five years of the craft beer industry from your own perspective and from an industry perspective? Always love this question and always love the answers. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the first time, and this is our interview with Frank Scott Kruger. Yeah, I mean, I think just the same way that we've sort of branded and, and grown and kind of fallen into the styles that we really focus on and, and the style of company that we've become, it's, it's going to be really unique for everybody. Um, so in terms of like, you know, sort of the, the macro scene of beer industry and beer culture, like I don't, I, I don't actually spend any time thinking about that and I don't really care, um, about that. Um, well, I can tell you where humble C is going to take it and what we're interested in. And of course we can pivot 95 times along the way because, you know, things like 2020 happened where we yeah. became an e-commerce business. And, uh, but I think in general, we're so we're expanding and we're opening up uh, more tap rooms um, than what we currently have. Uh, we finally finished a brew house expansion that actually finished uh, uh, right at the beginning of sort of the shutdowns, like in March. 
and we had you know it was, a, it was our biggest expansion yet which actually was a huge lucky break and a lucky yeah. gift because we've always been very supply constrained we can never make enough and doubling our our, our fermentation capacity and getting a, our own canning line put a lot more of the creative process of making beer in in our control um, rather than having um a, you know a canning line show up and maybe they show up and, and the fermentation isn't quite finished so we say hey we got to reschedule or you know maybe it's like we have to be super conservative and say we're going to give this ipa you know without a centrifuge unit tanking it we're going to give it five five weeks which mm -hmm. is a terrible use of ta tank time but we have to because we don't know one we want everything to drop out and be super super awesome to drink uh before we can it and two we just didn't have the equipment um that we did it that we do now like a centrifuge and um uh, you know bright tanks and um in our own canning line and so the, this kind of expansion helped us because we could make a lot more beer uh, than previously and that you know there's we're lucky enough that there's lots of people in california who wanted to crush our beer and uh so as we expanded, it's been like a, a huge gift to allow us to have a little bit of space to invest in the company um, and in our people uh, to sort of look towards the future. So what I mean by that is there's two, two parts of that. We finally have enough people on staff and sort of enough of, I guess you'd say like a budget or time mm -hmm. to, to do the programs that we've always wanted to do, uh, which is like, like DE and I diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and we have like a wellness committee and it's where we all get together and, you know, to do that from a company perspective, to pay for 15 to 30 people, um, all the, to be in the same space, to do something that's not, has nothing to do with beer. It has yeah. nothing to do with the bottom line. It has all to do with uh, helping people be happy at work, uh, helping ourselves, everyone be balanced to learn, you know, the E and I, uh, like our efforts with our equity and inclusion program is all about just learning, like figuring out, mm -hmm. you know, and identifying where our, our privilege is and where, um, you know, how, how we can use our privilege for good, how we can diversify our team, our customer base, how we can, you know, like, so that's one side of it, which has allowed us to, we've started to invest more and more into the people side of the business and the culture side of the business, which lines up with our company and brand values of approachability. Um, and that in the future is something we're going to invest more and more and more time and energy into. Uh, last year, we were able to give um, 20, upwards of $25,000 uh, to charities we care about um, in the, you know, diversity equity and inclusion space and then in the environmental space which are the yeah. two things we're passionate about and then on the other side the sort of i guess more like sort of um traditional entrepreneurship company building side uh we just want to build more retail spaces you know and we've got three that we're actually working on right now um and we've signed the lease to one that's why i don't really give out too much information um, but the idea is, is to have more retail touch points to mm -hmm. connect with, with our communities. And that's what has worked best for our brand. Uh, for other brands, it could be something totally different. It could be whatever it could be. You, you could be a mail order only brand and, and, and you can do everything online and you can contract through and like, that's, that could totally work. That business model should work. Someone should do that. Um, but for us, it's it's all about the connection with the people in the community and understanding where they're at, and then connecting, uh, you know, 
just connecting with them. And so retail expansion and, um, and then on the product side, uh, we've been able to like start our lab over the last year and, um, get really, really detailed and nitty gritty into exactly what we're doing, uh, with, you know, tracking the fermentation and using new ingredients in beer and making sure that they're safe and new techniques and the oh, yeah, feedback man, you've gone, gotten more. Yeah, yeah your uh, outrageous, uh, what is the, the slush the slush series or something like that? It's, we're making <laughs> green beer. Super <laughs> yeah, super bots, that's it. <laughs> Which always yeah. r- rattles some cages, but it's, it's fun. Again, it's just about, you know, well, different. You know, this conversation I had with Jeff Bagby a couple of weeks back, Jeff's a fucking awesome dude and, you know, he's been in the beer industry two decades and, you know, right from the start of the, you know, the San Diego scene, you know, working for Stone, one of the first employees. But just such a different take on what he sees, you know, like he wants to tell the stories that have gone before and he does a fucking awesome job. Like in many respects, it's exactly the same as what you guys do in, in a sense. He wants people to come in, be served and talk across the bar about the beer, whether yeah. that, you know, but the beers that he's producing, are maybe they're a double doppelbock or something like that, or, a, you know, an English bitter or a blonde ale, you know, but, but the connection is, is the vital part of it. Um, and I think that you can kind of move across the board of what the product is at the end of it. But the, the vital part is that you just want to talk over the bar and make sure that that person has the best possible time in your establishment. And I think that's where retail spaces are just so much more exciting. Like the, the tap room side, when we get to a point where I'm hopeful we will be very soon is, is just to be able to walk and see the tap room and people like being in it and, and communing around your product. And it might not be the most uh, important part of that conversation, but it, but it's playing a part. I think, I don't know, that's where my buzz comes from. And I think you guys seem to carry that buzz yep. as well. Yeah, totally. And, and I think product wise as well, like our, our, our break, it's funny when you actually go to humble C versus when you hear about it or see it online or interact with somebody, our product breakdown, like of the styles we do is, is very different than what you would expect. Like you mentioned the super pop series, like our smoothie beer series. Uh, and it's, and it's our, our green smoothie series. So it's yeah. like, we're, we're literally sort of, again, poking fun at the sort of like California diet health culture uh, by using things like green, you know, and stuff like that, yeah. green spirulina and like maca root and these things that like go in people's smoothies. And like, this isn't, if you're listening from anywhere else in the world, like you may or may not be familiar with this, the, the kind of extreme health craze that is like, you know, talking about your vitamin D deficiencies at, at, at every, every other corner in uh, California. It's like, <laughs> God, can anyone talk about anything? So part of it is sort of making fun of that but also the other part of it is is like having fun and if the product is well crafted with really high-end ingredients um you know we call it a superfood series because we're using all real ingredients uh no flavorings or anything like that and extracts or whatever um then it's it's fun for us to do but it's also funny that you even know about the series uh because that series got out of hand for sure like we we brew we did one batch and it sold out in 45 seconds. And then Holy each shit. batch after that, everything, everything's gone. Like everyone's just like, okay, click buy and we'll see if we get it, which is so cool to, to see. Um, but we only do one batch a month and it's a small batch because we don't want to process that much fruit. Um, yeah. To be honest, it's our smallest batch. We make 10, 10 barrels. Sometimes we'll do 20. Um, 
but what we're brewing the most of besides foggy ipas is traditional lagers i mean we have we modified our, our system so that we can do full decoction you know like we can decoct all of our lagers which we do um for the most part uh we naturally carbonate and horizontally lager all of our lagers oh, wow. uh, it's a full six week cycle um and it's as traditional as possible and, and like we're, we're just trying to get deep into the nerdiness of of german lager making and that's that's really like nick my partner the head of brewing ops that's that's his passion is, of course is, it is. Is lager. he's a brewer that's like honestly <laughs> i feel like i need the uh i need a lager you know like a swear pot but for like a lager pot for for this podcast <laughs> it's just like we'll always it will always you know we can start off at any place but it's coming back to lager like that seems to be the the going kind of pattern of every single episode because it's fucking but incredible you, and as, as a brewer i think it just you know again it just it's just refined process no place to hide and just killer to drink as well man i mean the california sun like crushing some amazing pilsners is exactly where i want to be um so that's yeah, cool i, mean, I didn't know that you i didn't know you'd invested so much in that kind of part of the business yeah i mean at any given point we're, we're we've got three <clears throat> to six lagers fermenting uh, oh, wow. or lagering um in our tanks so yeah i mean th and that's what's what's interesting as well is when we launched the brewery we wanted to be a lager brewery we wanted to be a lageria and that's what we wanted to be known for and in, in, invest our time and energy into but the thing about entrepreneurship especially if you if you start with no money is you do have to listen to customers you do yeah. have to listen to your community and we want to be that kind of brewery we don't want to be the brewery that's like we brew only what we want and like yeah. fuck you it's like well okay if you only brew what you want then you better drink 20 barrels of lager right now you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> and buy it you know no one in the industry buys beer uh and so it's what's funny is so we slowly pivoted and learned more and more what people wanted and and, and obviously foggy ipas are a huge part of our brand and, and stouts and um but and so lagers we were doing like one to two lagers at a time in the background but What's funny about lagers is like we could we couldn't sell a lager in the beginning, but as our grand brew, um, as our brand grew, <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, the lager side, like the respect side of our beer, just from a we captured people's attention with uh, foggy styles and other exciting things like you know pastry stouts and stuff, and we upped our quality as much as we possibly can and the respect for our brand was has been growing and growing steadily and then now when we reintroduce lagers or do our take on new school lagers or traditional german lagers people are genuinely excited about it and i think to be honest it's because we've captured their attention in some way mm -hmm. and and their respect for for what we're doing and so now we have this opportunity to sort of add a new level of education um, and this is for all demographics, especially beer aficionados that really, really get into, um, almost like the collecting side of beer where it's like, okay, I want to, I want to get the, 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 the most exciting, most hyped, you know, experiential beer, um, possible, which is, which is awesome. But the other side of that is, is like, they're, they're here, they're in our environment, like also check out this, you know double decocted pilsner that is you know horizontally lagered and traditionally made and uh has all noble hops and we're super proud of it here's why it's beautiful and uh they're coming back around to that side too so there's much more of a balance in our product offering now um 
but I think online or if you, if you experience humble C through, you know, just someone telling you about it, like they may not mention our loggers yet. Um, but it's, it's, it's kind of that full circle journey. That's like, I didn't think it would work actually. I thought we would just never be able to make a serious amount of lager, but, um, it totally, it's totally working. Oh man, that's so cool. And so cool that like, um, that people are responding to it. And I remember you telling me that like, that you're like, well, yeah, they're getting pretty highly rated our lagers now. Like people seem to be really buying into it and uh, you gain people's trust and it is such a cyclical journey, like a, that people come back to kind of this lager that they may have disbanded. You didn't, obviously you started with Guinness, but like they may have disbanded <laughs> in, the, in the early days after like drinking fucking 15 pitches of Bud Light or something. Um, so on that note, We've got to round this up, Frank. And there's so much, oh God, there's so much I want to kind of talk to you about, but I know you've got time constraints and I've got time constraints, but we will <laughs> definitely touch base again. Um, so yeah, the last question. So if there is one beer as the uh, the apocalypse comes, are you with friends? Are you the Desert Island beer? Um, could have been brewed before, could have never been brewed, could be one of your own, could be someone else's. If there was that one last beer, what's it going to be for you? Yeah, you know what? I forgot you asked this question, so I didn't think about it. <laughs> on the spot, man, on the spot. I think, you know what, to, to be honest, like uh, my go-to, you know, you know, if you're trying to survive on a desert island, it, it should probably be a non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> But like, let's okay, well, we'll go for a different scenario. We'll go for the apocalypse okay. coming. So you've got to just have a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I respect that. So, um, I, <laughs> just, you know, a little so literal there, but minded, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I think to to be honest, like the beers that I've been drinking a lot of um, is is just is just simply the beers from our lager program. Uh, I think we do, and again, it's kind of in this fun style of, of branding, but we do this beer called the, the, the real, uh, DDH. And it's a, it's a double decocted Hellas. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so it's this idea of like playing with like, you know, what is, what is hype beer? Uh, because making a double decocted Hellas, there's nothing to hide behind in this beautifully nuanced beer. And to double decocted Hellas is, you know, you could, you could argue that, what's the point of decocting such a nuanced, uh, beer where it's, it's, it's may or may not be like a malt forward beer. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's such a beautiful, nuanced, complex beer and the natural carbonation just freaking dances on your tongue. And it's low ABV it's in the force and it's, it's, I think people are starting to get it that like, when we say the real DDH, like we're not, we're not saying that all of our other DDH IPAs are bad. Uh, we're just saying also this DDH, like there's, yeah. there's another style of, of, of making beer in it and it's uh, traditional and, and very labor intensive to sit around and decoct these and things. It's also, uh, so it's, it's a conversation starter as well. Like, you know, if someone goes, Oh, DDH. Oh, what? And then suddenly it's like, Oh, it's a double decoction. and hell is like, Watch the decoction mash, like, and you're in. You know, that's that's the thing. You, right. you you're straight there. Oh, Frank, that sounds delicious. <laughs> and I will join you on that desert island that we'll be drinking double decoction Hellas, not water. Um, so we might not last that long, but we'll have a good time at the end. 
another episode down. Thank you so much for tuning in. It is a real pleasure to have you listening. Uh, Thank you so much for your feedback on all the episodes. It never gets old, so if there's anything that you want to reach out and ask us, just give me a shout. I've now got Stefan from Track on Instagram, so if you want to drop me a message on there, um, or just on any of the Track channels, I'll pick them up. I really hope you enjoyed this one. Just taking a look at a brewery and a brand from that design perspective it's really kind of the area that really fascinates me so i was buzzing to be able to speak to frank and kind of grill him a little bit more about it this show and all shows are produced by tom coucher a big shout out to him because none of this would be possible without you dude thanks so much again folks if you could leave us a review that always helps um and as ever stay thirsty